All right, Richard, as someone who loves Klingons, I and love as Klingons. someone who really loved Klingons in Star Trek Discovery, haha, <laughs> even though I know you didn't, I bet you're real excited about Barge of the Dead. <sighs> yeah, I, I. I I I I I mean it's Ron Moore's on board of course there's going to be Klingon shit this is you know he 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 would have been better served at this point by making the next next gen maybe but uh yeah this 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 entire week is getting me a you've been saying a lot of it, you're really careful about avoiding spoilers. Uh, not I, I, We do have kind of a loose policy on that, but out of courtesy, you're not really telling me much of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. But there have been a lot of things that you've mentioned offhand that later on I picked up on as you were very influenced by what was happening later. In other words – you were talking about, well, maybe Janeway's making bad decisions. Maybe she's, you know, making these, maybe Scorpion is a bad idea for her to make this alliance with the Borg. Maybe she should, which is obviously influenced by episodes like Night, by episodes like uh, where Species 8472 ends up going. And, for example, this week in Tinker Tailor, Dr. Spy or whatever, um, is obviously you got it. Good job. You you've been talking a lot about how Janeway still doesn't respect the Doctor, and here we have another Janeway doesn't respect the Doctor story, and where she learns her lesson about how really she needs to. Again, we'll get into that. And here we have an episode where Belana Torres learns to accept part of her Klingon heritage, and this all feels like this has very much been done before, and it feels so too little, too late in a way. Like these were these are amazing season two episodes. Yes, I I think that that there's there's a fundamental there's a fundamental disconnect between the quality of Star Trek Voyager on the episodic level and the quality of Star Trek Voyager in the gaps and the details. And one of my cliched statements is always I like shows that are more than the sum of their parts and. I don't think we've ever really interrogated what I mean by that, but and I don't know that this well, is necessarily the time or place for us to do that, but I, don't I think, think it's, it's relevant once again to bring that up because there is a there's a there's a there's an inconsistency in the ways in which Voyager is not careful about remembering what has happened before in in remembering certain character beats it really does feel like the person in charge of continuity on scripts is is not like doing a very good job or something i mean that that is a real job that exists and i i'm i'm never really sure like voyager to me feels like a television show that had a tremendous amount of behind the scenes turmoil that spilled over into the production and that's pretty and i think this like barge of the dead is actually a really good example of that because this is the second you know story credit that ron moore got he didn't write this episode he was gone by the time that this episode was written you know he lasted all of i don't know two months or something he wasn't around very long Wrote a script and, and a couple I think outlines. Was, yeah, and I, I think that he was raising valid but but troublesome and, and bothersome questions for Brian and Braga and the rest of the Star Trek Voyager writing staff, which is that 
objectively speaking, this isn't a very good television show. Now, it has its charms. I like a lot of the characters on an episodic level. I think that it is it it knocks it out of the park more than than frankly I think it deserves to. But it's not very good. And Ron Moore comes in and kind of says, "Hey, this isn't very good." And they fought, he left because it was uncomfortable. And of course, it is going to be uncomfortable when someone comes in and says, you're yeah. not doing your best work. But they're not doing their best work. And I think that's really what it comes down to. No, it, 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 it's I'm because obviously Next Generation was a bunch of different people writing, as was DS9, a bunch of different people writing. But those teams were obviously a lot more in sync. They wanted to tell a lot of the a lot of similar stories. They saw the characters in more or less the same ways. Um, More so on DS9 than TNG, I would say, but not much more. Here, I mean, this almost seems like uh, there was a, you know, internet comedy piece I was reading about, like, Two, two, two people who have to pass, a sto- pass writing a story between them, and one of them is trying to write this romance story, and the other one is writing this you know, military action thing, and it's, you know, keeps whiplashing, and it's just a goddamn mess, and that's how Voyager feels like, a goddamn mess. I mean, Voyager has a lot of really amazing episodes to it, and I, like I said, these I thought were really good episodes, but as part of a whole, as just something you're going to... This is a show that's meant to be watched a lot more casually than we are watching it. It's not meant to be watched week after week. It's meant to just be, oh, Voyager's on. I'm going to catch an episode in a way it feels but, like. But I, would, but I would challenge you on that, though, because I, I don't think you're wrong, but I still don't think that I, – I, I think that's a cop-out on the part of Star Trek Voyager because that's also how TNG was designed, yeah, frankly. Yeah, and of course. And we got a lot out of watching TNG in the fashion that we watch things because it had someone in charge that was paying attention to a lot of these small details. It had a consistent tone. It had a consistent vision. Now, certainly there were things about it that that perhaps were not the best. But on the whole, it was a consistent and cohesive piece of work. Yes. Voyager is not. I mean, and that's what it comes down to. It, 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 you know, I work as a cook. And, I do, you know, in theory, the, the plate that you make at the beginning of the night and the plate that you make at the end of the night are all supposed to be exactly the same. They're supposed to be at that level of quality. And... When you're on your game, that will be the case, and that's what where TNG pretty much was. But in reality, you get to the point where you're swamped and you're just slapping shit together, and there is an inconsistency of that when you just you're just worried about getting it done and out the door. Again, Voyager seems like a getting it done and out the door show, which I I think it's I think it's very very telling that there's a lot of. And and I don't I maybe you know maybe this is just me not not having ever bought or, or seen the the Voyager DVDs but you know I've been to conventions I've been to a lot of Star Trek conventions in my life and I have watched a lot of the behind the scenes special features yeah. on you know the TNG Blu-rays for instance the DS9 uh, uh, DVDs for instance I never owned Voyager because I, I didn't care for it and I never wanted to spend eighty dollars a season on it yeah yeah um, but but it seems to me that. The writing staff of TNG and the writing staff of DS9, and this is just me looking at it outside of, of yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, from, from a distance, that they really liked each other, that they respected each other. They didn't always yeah. agree, but they even to this day will talk to each other and will, will you know, uh, uh, there, there's, a, there's a chemistry there. There's a, yeah. there's a respect there. And I have never seen 
any of that for Voyager. You know, it seemed it seemed very it seemed like a very atomized writing staff to me. Yeah. Where I've never seen Ken I've never seen Ken Biller, who was on the show pretty much from day one, who who show runs the season and you know, next season in the last season of Voyager when Brian and Braga goes off to create Enterprise. Um I've never seen Ken Biller and, and Brian and Braga be interviewed together. I don't think I've ever seen Ken Biller at a convention, you know, and this is someone who worked on, on Star Trek Voyager for six or seven years. You know, this yeah. is, this is a not insignificant contribution to the Star Trek mythos. So I just think that a lot of this comes down once again to, you know, a, a, a lack of, a lack of caring, frankly, on the part of the writing staff. I have seen so in so many places from so many different people interviewed individually about Star Trek Voyager that for so many of them, this was just a job. They didn't care. I mean, they cared, right? Like they didn't want to get fired. I'm not trying to no, say they no, were no. doing bad work, but, but it's just like, it was a job to them. It wasn't, it wasn't a passion in the way that I think writing for TNG was a passion and DS nine was its own thing. I mean, that was Iris Stephen bear being a really, really intelligent and creative person who, who built a writing staff that, that aligned with how he saw the show evolving. You know, I mean, it is what it is. And I think that, but I think it's funny that, 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 cause all of that is almost mimicked in, 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 in the way that the cast is because TNG is about a group of people who all have different talents but are coming together and you, again you have a captain who is synthesizing everybody's ideas and figuring out all right we're going to figure out a way we can all solve this problem together and DS9 is about a very strong leader who is dealing with a bunch of coworkers who grow to respect each other greatly over the years and who do have a singular vision for peace together and Voyager, every time Voyager insists that we are a family and this is us, it rings a little false. Like, it, it, Vo- yeah. It, Vo- Voyager is the Star Trek that knows it's a television series, I yeah. think is fundamentally what it comes down to. And, you know, I, I think Barge of the Dead is actually a really good. I mean, we, we do this a lot with Voyager because <laughs> a lot of times there just isn't that much to talk about, frankly. This is not the deepest of shows. Although I think this week is, is fairly deep in terms of, of, of character yeah. stuff. But. Another part of it that is frustrating, though, of course, is that like even in episodes like Barge of the Dead, which I don't like too much, but I, I can respect it. Yeah. And Tinker Tenor, Doctor Spy, which I like a lot. Um, you never really know how seriously to, to take any of the character development because they could just forget about it. And yeah. a season later, do yet another episode where Bellana comes to terms with her own Klingonness or whatever. And I mean, Barge of the Dead is is what it is. And I think that I'm not really sure that you know it's it's funny to talk about all of this stuff right because one of the most famous things that um that that ken moore ken moore one of the most famous things that ron moore ever said about his time working on the star trek voyager writing staff and i think i've said this before is that he came onto the show and he's like okay i've watched the episodes you know who are these characters you know uh, uh, you know, what are their personalities? And, and he's like, okay, what about Bellana? Who Who's Bellana? And they say, oh, well, she's the engineer. And he's like, uh, okay, sure. But, but like, who is she? What does she want out of life? Yeah. How does she, how does she react to certain situations? You know, what is her personality? And they would say, well, she's the engineer. And, that I think tell you know, and that's apocryphal, of course. But I think that also tells you all you need to know yeah. about how Star Trek Voyager's writing staff approached 
it, it's it's product, frankly. And and Barge of the Dead is a perfect example of that, where I think that what Ron Moore wanted to do was to try and give a little bit more depth and flavor to the character of Belana Torres. But it just comes across as, as you said, too little, too late. What it was really funny about this episode is in the conversations between Balana and her mother, I just instantly recast as between Worf and Alexander. Like, this is a conversation sure. that the two of them need to have. And I wonder if, in a way, this is an attempt to channel some lingering bits of that storyline into that relationship. Because it feels like that's where that's coming from. And, again, I, I, I think this actually dovetails very nicely with, uh, well, Balana's the engineer. Because there aren't enough traits to really hang on her. And so... Well, she's kind of like Alexander in some ways. She was raised Klingon, but she doesn't really feel any connection with that. And she's a very different temperament than is Klingon and yet is wrestling with that side of herself. Um, Again, I don't think that's a bad thing. That was certainly a – I think one of our big frustrations is that Worf and Alexander never actually have that conversation on Alexander's terms. It's always on Worf's terms that they have it. This is an opportunity for – uh, the parent and the child to have that on a level which I think gives dignity to both of them. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think in theory at least that that's the case. But but you know, I did say that I admire this episode, although I don't yeah. really like it. And I think a lot of the frustration on 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 the part of this episode for me comes from the the sort of it, I don't know it undercuts itself because Belana isn't having this conversation with her mother. You know, I, I yeah. I frankly don't buy this whole Barge of the Dead thing. I don't buy the Grethor thing. I don't buy this. Well, you know, I don't. And part of You the- know, because I get to this point so much with with, with Star Trek where, I, you know, I, I, I remember talking about this way back when we talked about Sub Rosa within a, a TNG Season 7. Oh, That's the, the infamous ghost sex episode. Um, where, where this is an episode which is asking us to take the supernatural seriously. Mm. And one thing that Star Trek has never done is ask us to take the supernatural seriously. And yeah, Barge of the Dead kind of outlines this and kind of colors outside the the, the, well, the picture where it's never really sh- they're never they're kind of coy with what exactly is going on. But like either Balana is like having a hallucinatory fantasy about coming to terms with her mother, or she's actually on the Klingon Barge of the Dead going to their hell, and neither is really satisfying as well, an answer. No, but let let. And again, we're coming off of DS9 in a lot of ways still, which did an amazing job of walking that line that is very difficult in sci-fi of what's the difference between actual, you know, between a deity and an advanced alien and a philosophy and science and religion and all of these things do get muddled. And I think DS9 did a good job of navigating that. And there was an episode which was dedicated towards Worf getting the soul of his wife into Stovacor. And that is, I mean, that is very similar to this episode, except I buy Worf's quests to get, uh, to, to, to get Jadzia into Stovacor because number one, we have, we've understood his relationship to his religion this entire time. We believe the, well, it's important to him. He believes it. And that's what matters more than I think we believe it in Balana because, Again, Worf's had this his whole time. Balana just wakes up from a coma and decides this. So it does seem a little um, 
the the psychology that's going on in Bellani is a little obvious right now. Um, yeah, and I and I and I also think that that going back to that episode of DS Nine, uh, I don't think I would have liked that episode if Worf had woken up in a cave outside of Stovacor either. Like, yeah, with Jadzia there, right? I mean that that wouldn't have been satisfying. That would have felt very forced and. I think this also feels very forced. Mm. You know, I it feels like this is an excuse to break out the Klingon makeup. And okay, I mean fine if that's what you want to do, but but it's it, it, like the thing is like it's just it's just it's just an ugly episode. Like it's just not visually very interesting or or appealing to me. And you know, it's like this this fakey back lots, you know, this fakey backdrop yeah. set of a of a ship, and it's you know the ship is like whatever, you know. I mean, I it looked like something out of the fucking Saga Museum in Iceland. I mean, it's just I, I don't know. I feel like I'm being a little catty no, right now, and maybe I, I am because I, I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race. But <laughs> it's just you know, I well, really, if Belana can't care. love herself, how the hell is she gonna love anybody else? Um, listen, Bolana just needs to read her mother. All right. The library is open. No, like it's no, I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's, but let's again, compare this to another episode from the exact series. The one where Neelix has the exact same thing happen to it, or in a way, the exact opposite thing. He wreck, he, he. I mean, that was a much more in line with the series' take on religion, which is that perhaps it's a scientific understanding. We, as far as we know, Star Trek believes in cessation of consciousness after death. Um, and yeah. it, it, it's... And Neelix dealing with that reality is very within Star Trek's line. I mean, this is the, you know, it always the star the federation is one which has navigated existentialism and it just recognized that you know even though you die and you're gone you still live on in the memories you've still made your effect on the world you did live you did act and you know the federation is a place where people are given the resources to act in good faith where they are not stymied by outside forces for the most part and I don't know. I bought that in Neelix also because I, I don't know. Well, you bought it because Neelix is the best character of Star Trek Voyager. Neelix is and, the character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and I think that's what it comes down to is that, that, you know, Neelix is an actual character and Bolana is, she's a Klingon. Like, I, I don't, I don't know who she is. And I think that we know that she has mentioned her mother before we we i think yeah. we heard her name before morel you know we've never heard this pet name before but that's that's fine i mean i don't know why she would have ever mentioned that to anyone except for yeah, yeah. tom um but a lot of this just comes across as a character that we barely know that is 6 seasons in which is a problem we are we are not going to I think that's fundamentally what it comes down to. Like we are six seasons yeah. into this show. The the show is is on the downward slope at this point. Like they, they you know, they it was I don't think it was completely decided at this point that the seventh season was going to be the end, but it was probably going to be the It surprised last, nobody, you know. yeah, especially considering the past two got seven seasons. Nobody was going to stick around for season eight. <laughs> right. And and they're just they're just now getting around to to trying to give Bellana some some deeper characterization and it doesn't it doesn't work because fundamentally 
I don't know who this person is. And so I cannot find myself to be very invested in in her struggle to come to terms with her mother. I, I just can't. This is what I said, I think, last week. We are, in, we are perpetually in season two. This is the kind of episode that you have when you realize, like, oh, shit, we had this character around the first season. We didn't really do anything with him. Let's start figuring it out, which is kind of what happened with Worf and Geordi, for example. They didn't really have sure. much to do in the first season, but then you promoted Worf to Tasha Yar's position, and he began to grow into that, and you figured, and they figured out his relationship to the Klingon Empire and his heritage, and then he began to be a character. Geordi became chief engineer, and they began to figure out plots through him, and it, this seems like the episode of, okay, well, now we're going to characterize Belana Torres, and let's give her some opinions on her Klingon heritage, and let's actually make this, and this is her relationship with her mother, and maybe part of her arc over the series is her coming to terms with her spirituality. That is a, that is, I mean, certainly if this were, if this were the character in DS9, that would be her arc for the series. But, uh, but a lot of it, I mean, there, there's that scene with, um, with Tuvok in, in, I think his quarters. Yeah. Because Belana leaves and he's talking about the bat left and he's obviously trying to, to bait her into having an emotional yeah. reaction. And that of course is, I don't think that's a real scene. I no, think that's that the, the, halluc- the entire first chunk of the episode is hallucin- hallucination. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, the episode, I mean, to the episode's credit, I think it does a good job of establishing something that just feels a mm-hmm. little bit off, mm-hmm. right? And and that is fine. I mean, Ron Moore certainly, I mean, he, again, he didn't write the script for this episode, but he did the story by, so so assumedly he did the outline, and, and he's good at that kind yeah. of thing. He understands Klingons very well. But it's just little things like uh, there is a scene where Chakotay and Bellana are talking about her visions. And I don't remember the exact yeah. wording that Bellana uses, but she says something like, oh, do you believe in visions? And he gives this kind of like half noncommittal answer. And you're like, I don't think he's being sardonic yeah. here. I, I think that he's being true. And I'm like, but he's Chakotay. Like, that's that's like all his character is. Yeah. He's but- like the vision quest shit. And and. Did they forget that? Well, like, what what is happening right now? I mean, in my uh, my understanding, uh, my I th- well, from my view, that was a halluc- hallucinatory scene as well. That was within this vision, and so this is Balana having a dying impression of it's a dying dream kind of a thing, and that's her impression of Chakotay, or more likely, it is people that she knows and is going to for advice. Who are being hijacked by this Klingonness? In other words, yes, she has meditated with Tuvok before. She would go to Tuvok for spiritual counsel when she is dealing with uh, something like this, and she isn't sure, and she needs to calm down. And that gets hijacked by him, essentially becoming a Klingon. Uh, talking to Chakotay, which is a normal thing that she does. He is the person that is perfect to talk to about the spiritual nature. Gets, gets hijacked by the horrors of the vision and just doubles down and dismisses her, 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 her thing. It's kind of her fears coming true in that sense. I mean, the, the fact that it's not Chakotay kind of works with it. I th- thought that that was when she was out of the vision. And before she went back in, she was trying to decide whether or not to go back in or not. But, but again, we, 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 either we, way, this is a I thing think we come we, to a lot. 
Yeah, like it's unclear. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know if I'm just not remembering it or if like I'm misremembering it or if the episode was just that unclear and I I don't know. And and what's worse is that I don't care. Yeah. No, and that that <laughs> that, that is I guess the upshot of it. It the, the these part of the reasons that we're talking to shows that are more than the sum of their parts and I know you have said the X-Files is definitely a uh, example of that and for our thoughts on the x-files please visit our other podcast tuning in uh but i get what you mean with that because i don't like a lot of individual episodes of the x-files uh i found a lot of them very boring or kind of dumb or whatever but a- as a sustained and evolving atmosphere and uh, milieu and uh, you know like that i think it works like it, it, it's the kind of thing that like it's not a great song but it's really good background tone music to set a mood like that's how i feel about the x-files and i think we're okay at letting individual episodes just kind of wash over us now we've really stopped watching episodes of voyager for the plot anymore and I know for me, part of it is I know that 90% of them are just going to be solved by Technobabble. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And I think you just have, we just have to look for, you know, the little bits of nuggets of character or whatever that are in there. Um, and, and, you know, clearly I think that, that Voyager is a show that, that can handle this sort of sustained criticism. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are a lot of shows that I, that I would never do this for. Um, but at the end of the day, like Barge of the Dead is another example of – I guess really what it comes down to is this is the path that Voyager could have taken and Ron Moore coming in after six seasons and saying, okay, I made DS nine and it was the best Star Trek show ever. And I'm going to show you how it's really done. Yeah. Well, no, because like Tinker Tenor, Dr. Spy is a much more Voyagery episode of Voyager. And it's also a fuck ton better than barge of the dead. I mean, this show has had plenty of parallel universes and alternate timelines. This is, Sometimes it seems like a lot of episodes are just they didn't write a they they didn't get a chance to do a Voyager episode in the real timeline, so they swiped someone from another an alternate universe in which this is what the show was like. So these were swiped from the alternate universe where Ron Moore was showrunner. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's worse, but it is different from what we think of as Voyager. Well, I think that's true for Barge of the Dead. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that's true for Tinker Tenor, Doctor Spy, but we can discuss. I'm sorry, that I, mean, in just I meant a his episodes as those episodes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I getcha. Well, we're moving on to talking about Tinker Tenor, Doctor Spy, but before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind all of you listening to this podcast: yes, you with the earbuds walking down the street, pay attention right now. Pull over, maybe. Get out of the way of your other fellow pedestrians and go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow to support us financially. There are costs associated with this podcast and our other podcast tuning in. We work very hard each and every week to continue to bring these podcasts to you. We would love it if you contributed. Patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is the place to show your support and love for Truckabout tuning in, me and Richard. Okay, so Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy is a fun episode and the aliens are cool and the doctor is like at his most annoying but charming. <laughs> and I just have to say that that 
when Voyager just decides yeah. it's going to have fun, it's a completely different show. Yeah, again, the Hangout episodes are the best episodes of this series for me. Uh, when when they're just kind of doing stuff and because nothing really I, happens in this episode besides yeah. from the aliens attacking briefly but yeah. that's never a serious threat yeah it's more how do we navigate the, yeah, the the enterprise is never really in danger but they need to get through the situation with everybody kind of saving face and i wish this show were more of a sitcom maybe that's it like i would love voyager but done as a sitcom within the star trek universe the cast can kind well, of. If you'd like a comedic take on the Star Trek Voyager milieu, please check out the Orville <laughs> season two on Fox this fall. Um, but but you know yes. I, again that's I think the imp- that's I think part of the impetus behind the Orville. Like this is a tone that can handle comedy if you have a cast that you can do it. If you have a writing staff that's willing to do the comedy, and you can still tell you know, good science fiction stories with a, now you listen to our Patreon special to find out whether or not we thought the Orville was that show. But, um, like the, yeah, the comedy episodes of Voyager are the best because again, the cast can handle it. Robert, I, I think it would be very fun if we, we were the kind of people who could do that. We, we get asked every so often, why don't you do a patron special on like William Shatner's acting techniques or something? And we just really can't discuss acting, but it would be really nice to see the ways in which Brent Spiner and uh, Robert Picardo ham it up. And just Picardo is just much better at it than Spiner is. I like him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. um, Like Spiner's is not, not good. And I think it's a matter of personal taste, of course. Yeah. I mean, I I'm with you. I mean, I, I would say that, that on the very short list of things that Star Trek Voyager is the best Star Trek at, it is comedy. Like TNG was dreadful at it. TOS was all right. Uh, DS nine was, was good at it in very particular types of comedy that were very rooted in character. Um, I'm thinking of episodes like Take Me Out to the Hall yeah. Suite, for instance. Um, but but Voyager, the cast, is just very good at being funny. And it's it's kind of an ineffable quality. You know, it's, it's hard to explain why they're just good at it. But they are. It's a timing thing. They they have good timing with each other. They're all able to to line read in particular ways that are just funny. And this is not like a particularly funny episode of Voyager. I think it's more no. fun than funny, but there are funny moments to it, of course. I mean, I think that the the uh, uh, the the improvised opera about <laughs> Pond yeah. Far is is the moment in Star Trek history that that Voyager is always going to be famous for because it is just really fucking hilarious yeah. and, and enjoyable to watch. Uh, but it is the case that like. Yeah, this is a serious episode. It is dealing with serious matters. It is dealing with an alien species that is trying to attack Voyager and steal their technology. And and it is dealing with, once again, you know, the doctor not being respected. And, you know, let's talk about that first, because I think that's the thing that I will defend about this episode. Okay. And and. What I mean by that is, you know, you had intimated earlier and we have talked before about how Star Trek Voyager gets to this place every once in a while, like every season or so, where the doctor goes, you're not respecting me. And Janeway's like, shit, I'm not, you know, I I just, 
I just, I'm really just a horrible person mm. and I don't, I don't think you're a sentient being. I just don't, you know, like you're, you're inconvenient and you're a program and I'm just going to do what I, I'm going to make a lot of, I'm yeah. going to make a lot of mouth noises about respecting your, your rights as an individual. But when push comes to shove, I'm going to start deleting your memories instead of sending you for like intensive psychotherapy. Right. That was, that was the point of that episode yeah, in yeah, fifth yeah, season, yeah, for yeah. instance. And I think that this episode, on the one hand, yes, you can say, well, it is once again, Janeway is is deciding that she hasn't treated the doctor well and she's going to turn a new page and all that kind of shit. But I actually like that because yeah. if there's one thing that Janeway consistently is good at, it's bullshitting herself. And so I don't think okay. that she is a very um, – I don't think that she is a very – self-reflective person naturally i think that was the point of night right where she gets put into a situation where all she can do is self-reflect and she essentially shuts down and becomes the phantom of the opera and hides in her quarters for months and chakotay has to come Mm -hmm. in and be like listen yeah the crew needs to see you this is going to freak them the fuck out and and so i just don't think she's very good at this um and on the other hand i think that the doctor realizes that i think the doctor realizes that he's been be he's been bullshitted and that that that's why he's finally made a formal complaint which is kind of funny because who's he going to send it to but still no but it's true uh there has really been nothing actionable done with the doctor and this is fine i mean he, he he deals with two situations at the beginning of the episode that kind of do form the last straw and they're almost innocuous in and of themselves but first is the um well well there is an event that in this episode that he's dealing with at the beginning which is kind of the last straw and it's that he wants to go on this away mission because there's a particular view that he wants to see and because it's not a particularly dangerous mission they decide they don't need him and we have seen so many times I, I, I mean we as the audience and the doctor has even seen or heard about events like this on Voyager so many times where this isn't a ser- this isn't a serious mission it's going to be fine and you have a personal reason for going in that's not going to interfere with anything like sure why not like if Harry Kim asked to do, to do this because there was a clarinet store on the planet she would say sure Harry have a have a fun time we you're not needed and that's that's I, I I I again in and of itself is innocuous, but this fine this is this is the limit for the doctor in this, and um, what he proposes becoming an emergency command hologram. What I thought was really interesting is this is essentially exactly the arc of Doctor Crusher. She is a doctor who, several years into her position, re- realizes you know I've really kind of grown all I can on this. I. I want a very different challenge. I want to get some other skills that are going to help the ship. And immediately it's agreed, yes, you know, take command lessons and go from there and, you know, get your a couple of shitty overnight bridge shifts. Sure. Um, in any other, you know, with Picard, the captain, he would have made, he would have listened to this request a long time ago, I think. And yeah, I, 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 I do buy that this episode does make it just this is the this is the final moment. Now he needs to do something formal and Janeway with this actual letter in in her hands, which has these very reasonable demands that she feels reticent to give. And she has to which construct that. she also makes fun of in yeah. front of the entire bridge crew. Yeah. Like, you know, I just 
I get it. A lot of people really respect Janeway. And I... <laughs> like, there are things about her character that just really bother me. And, like, her total lack of disregard for other people's feelings yeah. is one of them. Like, maybe that's just a, a, a sore point for me personally or something. But... I, mean, I really, really hate her in that scene. Huh. Like, it is played for laughs. And I don't think the show, like, a lot of times with Voyager, you're like, did they intend this or not? Mm. And and I think that in this instance, they did intend it. I think they did intend it to come across as mean-spirited. And, you know, Tuvok joining in on it and, and Chakotay joining in on it a little bit. Well, whatever. I mean, they also stood there and let Tuvix be dragged off to his death. Yeah. So, hey. Um, I, I don't necessarily consider them like harbingers of, of, of personal morality. Uh, but it is the case that the doctor, as you said, the doctor's demands are or, or his complaints are, are entirely valid. And if he was a I mean, even if he frankly was data, right, mm-hmm. like a like an android, um, I think that the doctor would. I, I think the I think the rest of the crew would 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 listen to him more. As it is, he seems like he's a little bit of an annoyance, and they're just going to do whatever they can to fix him. Like there were episodes of TNG when things went wrong with Data, and they had to fix it. But they always were like, "Hey, Data, is it all right if we do this?" And with the Doctor, they're just like, "Ah, whatever. Just throw him open and delete some shit. I don't care, right?" And you, you know, there are some really interesting real world implications here for racism because. You know how they do all of the data is really ingratiating, like, and he loves humans and he wants to be human and all of that. And the doctor is the doctor is always himself. He is never, I mean, he is kind, he is loving, he respects life, all of that. He is extraordinarily loyal to everybody, but he doesn't care about being, you know, he, he, he. He he doesn't care if you don't want to see his photos. He he he's gonna sing. He likes to be the center of attention. He's a little arrogant and all of that, and that's where it annoys people. And I mean, then you read studies that are like, well, people respond better to black men who look younger and have baby faces than they do to uh, like things like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I I I think that. That's in play here. Data is easier to accept as human because he's just so darn nice. It's real. It's a little more difficult to accept the humanity of the doctor because, God damn it, doctor, shut up for five minutes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that I, I mean, I like the doctor. You like oh, the doctor, yeah. but, uh, you but know, yeah, you're right. Like there are aspects to his personality which are which are off putting or could be annoying. But well, yeah, somebody- you know that, and that's. Well, I was going to say somebody was talking about uh, Neelix in one of the comments on our on our site and saying – because I was saying I don't know why people don't like Neelix because he's wonderful. And he pointed out well, you're just watching him on a TV show like he is a little too ingratiating. He is a little too helpful and he probably would annoy you in real life. And it is the same with the doctor. He is a little too – he's one of those guys who's a little too loud in a conversation. But – um at, at the but same I, time, again, he, that, like, yeah. but I but I think that that you know, part part of what always part of what always amazes me about about Janeway's sort of reactions to to situations like this, though, is that 
you know, the doctor comes into her ready room and she's like, all right, I'm ready to answer your grievances. And she answers like one of his grievances, which isn't even a grievance, which is just like, I wanted to be a command hologram. And yes, on the one hand, it's like, okay, doctor, like that's a bit much. Like you got a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't really know that you need to be doing this too. Um, but and also like, is it a good use of our time and all that kind of stuff? But, but she doesn't really give any like she doesn't really give any objections. She's just yeah. basically like, well, yeah, this is a good idea, but I don't want to do it. So we're not going to do it. Yeah, it's true. And, I mean, we've all asked for promotions and it's valid for your boss to say, no, you're not ready there. Or we need, you know, you need to be fulfilling your job or, you know, to even say, well, look, let me give you, I, or I mean, a fair captain would say, listen, let me give you a little more responsibility. If you can handle that, we'll work on getting more. I mean, all of those are valid ways of addressing it. She doesn't. She but, doesn't do that because she doesn't like the doctor. They take. I mean, I'm being they, serious. Like, I, they she take, flat out doesn't like him. They take little Naomi Wildman much more seriously when she insists that she has a position which doesn't even exist. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, they let Seven of Nine run around the ship. I mean, she's not exactly the most charming person on on the ship either. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I think there is a lot to 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 say about that honestly <laughs> because I do think that fundamentally like the doctor, I mean, it's he's right. This is an episode that has been brewing for a long time. Like, you know, his 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 daydreams notwithstanding and his like plotline borrowed from TNG notwithstanding yeah. he's experimenting with daydreaming this time as opposed to just dreaming. Um, is, is, you know, in his kind of fantasies about, uh, uh, saving everyone on the ship and all the women are throwing themselves at him and et cetera, et cetera. Like, yeah, it's a little gross and all that kind of stuff, but it's adolescent I mean, I and say, he is adolescent it's in adolescent. that way. It's, but it, it's fine if his first daydreams are adolescent. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to, you know, I will give Janeway a little bit of credit yeah. where she does defend his daydreams where she says, well, you know, like all of her daydreams are a little bit you know self-aggrandizing like that that's just a thing that people do yeah um that is the moment when she does finally i mean it's interesting she is the first one to say like are we sure we should be viewing this guy's daydreams like that's not really i did get, i did agree to give him more consideration like that she finally recognizes a line that she said she would not cross and again when she sees her she i think finally clicks what the doctor's been saying this entire time about going beyond his program and she's finally able to recognize some of her own fantasies and ambitions within him. These are not that different from stuff that she might have imagined when she was captain. Of course, when she was uh, a a young bridge officer, she had the imagination, well, there's going to be the thing that almost destroys the ship and I'll save the day and then it'll be great. I mean... Who wouldn't think that way? And that that is what clicks as human to her. And I think that's interesting. I think it's fair. And I also I mean, I also think, frankly, too, that that um, the the part of the part of this that that the episode never says anything about, but which I think is is kind of there, but but not really stated outright is its subtext is that. The doctor never chose to to be a doctor. And, and, you know, there's a lot of things said in the episode about, well, he's got a job. He's the chief medical officer. I think Chakotay says that, right? Where, you know, he says, well, look, he's got a lot of responsibility. He's the chief medical officer on the ship. Like, it's not like we're not 
we're just locking him in a closet all night or something. Uh, you know, it's not the case where we used to just like turn off his program and not yeah. turn him on again until we needed him. Like we have given him a lot of responsibility. But but the, at the end of the day, like he never chose to be a doctor. And and yeah. yeah, he's a good doctor and he seems happy with being a doctor. But but there is a little bit of like weird determinism here where I mean, let's be like very reductive about it. The fucking guy's name is the doctor. Yeah. Like that's who he is. He is de- he is he is named by his profession. So there's some of that as well. Now, of course, some yeah. of that is his fault because he never chose a name. But still, there's a lot of different levels here, which which all factor into an episode which remembers all of these different levels yeah. and, and plays around with them. And I like the way that plays against the monster of the week, which is these aliens that are so <laughs> into their exact role. Now, the, the I love their visual design, but... It is a little confused. Are they a spying species? Are they a, you know, you have your cast species? It, 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 it's a little loosey-goosey, but whatever. But And they are a group of people who uh, their existence is based on their role in life into the slot in which they were fit. And this is a society that anybody in the Federation would find a little absurd. And yet it's the expectation that's been placed on the doctor. And this also is something which has been talked about with seven of nine a lot. I mean, how much of a, well, that's, you know, your designation and who you are are two very different things. You are not your job. You are not the slot you are placed into. You are a person who is capable of making choices. And we're not given that with the doctor. And right. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, it, I mean, this is the rare episode of Voyager that I think, you know, it, it doesn't have too much going on. And it also uses it very well to, yeah. to comment on each of the two stories, because, yeah, like, I think it, it is a little bit, you know, on one hand, it's like, why is the episode spending so much time on this? Right. And and well, the episode is spending so much time on it because it's it's part of what makes the episode work that. It, 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 it's even to the degree that this alien species can't really make a decision for themselves, which which is kind of opposite of the doctor where he wanted to make decisions for himself and he was not able to. And so they've given him the ability to do so. And and it's very, very interesting to me that this other alien I think almost like has a little bit of a crush on the doctor. Like, <laughs> well, he, he is starry eyed about him. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, this guy can go beyond what he is. He's my hero. <laughs> and we never really get a good sense of what exactly would happen to this guy. It doesn't sound good. Like it sounds like maybe he would just be destitute or something. But the other thing that I really like about it, too, is that and, – and maybe – I mean maybe. I say maybe. Like that this will indicate that Star Trek Voyager is finally moving forward with the Doctor and that they are going to be able to have the other characters treat him with respect is that in the best Star Trek fashion, when the Doctor tells them this yeah. crazy story about these aliens that are about to attack but they've contacted him because they think that he's the captain because yeah. they were tapping into his daydreams and they thought that that was actually the real voyager that janeway is like okay sure yeah let's we do can, it sure and, you know like, sure they need like that yeah sure they need the proof but they look for the proof they don't just kick out the 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 kook um 
and what I thought was interesting in this episode is Harry Kim is about the nicest to the doctor. I mean, he's the one who uh, says the line that's, I think, repeated later on. Well, we all daydream, so the doctor should too. Like, he, he, he doesn't see – I think it's interesting that the guy who is a holodeck programmer apparently is, is the one who is most readily able to able to recognize that everything should be extended to the doctor. That, yes, no, this isn't just a human privilege. This should be all people can do that. And yeah. that's a nice thing about Harry Kim. Good for Harry Kim. Finally something good for Harry Kim. Well, I mean, and maybe that's the – that could be a really cute angle for Harry Kim to go. Harry Kim is the person who sees, meets up with life that's very different and he's all like he wants to hug it. Like he, he was with that way with the bomb, right? Like he, he – he, Oh, yeah. I, I like the idea of Harry Kim as the thing who loves all God's creatures on any planet. Harry Kim is a puppy that you meet at the park. Yes. And just really wants to lick on you. <laughs> and you're like, listen, you're you're a 30-year-old man. You need to buy me a drink first. <laughs> and finally, I will just say that I will contradict myself a little bit because while I don't think this episode is funny necessarily, one of the best visual gags in all of Star Trek history, the dramatic one-by-one <laughs> Popping into existence of the pips, just just really just spot on. They make spot on good a, humor. They make a point to show it twice. Like they know how cool that sequence is, and they know you want to see it again. And the be- and the best part of that is that's not even really the joke because you see it once and then you see it again only to get the real joke, which is Janeway going. Really <laughs> I gotta give him that. <laughs> All right, well, I think we'll leave it there. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes, Barge of the Dead or Tinker Tenor Doctor Spy, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. As I said earlier, patreon.com slash trackaboutshow is where you can go to give us some monetary support. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Trackaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an Apple Podcast review for truck about because richard what is it the best way for people to have a thing and do some other stuff and we want money i'll take it all right next yes i'll take the money too (laughs) all right next week we're going to be talking about alice and riddles